the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's on AM 1420. The answer at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock for the Bob France Authority. It is a Wednesday, the 13th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Really appreciate you being here. Coming up on the program today, a couple of very good guests. Mark Krikorian going to join us from the Center for Immigration Studies in about a half an hour at about 935. He's the executive director of that very important organization. And he's worried a little bit about the number of people crossing our border. No, not that one, the other one. The one to the north. There's been a 91% increase in border crossings across our northern border with Canada. How and why? Now, that's still a tiny fraction of the number that continue to come across the southern border, but it is a reason to be concerned. <clears throat> so Mark Akorian of the Center for Immigration Studies will join us to talk about that. He will also join us to talk about the president's ICE problem. What do, I, what do I mean? I mean, the president has had ICE's back. ICE has had the president's back. But now the ICE union is saying, you know what, sir? Uh, enough talk. We need help, and you need to get this done, especially when it comes to catch and release policies, which have been expanded in this government now by this administration by signing a, a bad bill. Excuse me. And now more ICE agents are spending time doing mundane tasks than ch- uh, chasing down criminal illegal aliens who are committing crimes in this country. So the ICE union is turning on the president. They sent him a blistering letter saying, what's going on? So we're going to talk about all of that with Mark Krikorian coming up uh, in the uh, first hour, in about a half an hour from now. And then in hour number two, we're going to talk to Sergeant Andy Ezzo uh, of the Cleveland Police Department about a very big event that's coming up at the beginning of next month, uh, the 18th and annual and final, final uh, award, excuse me, award ceremony with the uh, Greater Cleveland Police Scholarship Fund. It's a wonderful event that I'm going to be guest uh, emceeing slash hosting or whatever it is they want me to do. And we're going to talk to uh, uh, Sergeant uh, Ezzo about that and how you can be a part of it as well. But I want to start with Nancy Pelosi. What is she up to? What is she up to? Why is she recommending to her party that they not impeach Trump, saying that Donald Trump isn't worth it? He isn't worth the trouble of impeaching? Speaker Pelosi has finally come out and publicly said that she is not for impeachment. In an interview released by the Washington Post, she says, quote, impeachment is so divisive to the country that unless there's something so compelling and overwhelming and bipartisan, I don't think we should go down that path because it divides the country and he's just not worth it. But that line of thinking will put the Democratic leadership at odds with many members of their own party, including Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who's already said that she's planning to introduce articles of impeachment against President Trump by the end of this month. So have a host of other Democrat representatives who are bucking the party leadership and Speaker Pelosi, saying they plan to move forward. Representative Al Green of Texas says, I don't care who's standing with me, I'm moving forward to introduce articles of impeachment. They want him gone. And that seemed to be the track that all Democrats were taking, right? Until Nancy Pelosi made this announcement. He's not worth it? What does that mean? What is she up to? 
What is her end game here? Why would she oppose the idea of impeachment that all Democrats seem to have been working toward for two solid years, knowing that once they got the majority in the 2018 midterms, they could begin the actual process, because they couldn't do that while the Republicans were the majority? What's her end game here? Might I suggest to you that Nancy Pelosi has no interest whatsoever? Shocking, right? In unity. And she doesn't want to divide the country with something like impeachment. It's so divisive and it's so uh, negative for the country. And she doesn't want to do that unless there's clear and compelling evidence that he did something that's impeachable, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't care about that. Might I suggest to you that Nancy Pelosi has gotten advance word on what is going to be in the Mueller report? Nancy Pelosi has gotten advance word that the Mueller report is going to say, we looked, we searched, but could not find. We turned over every stone. We looked around every corner and every crevice and every couch cushion. We, we monitored every phone call, every record we could find, and we could not find collusion between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. And once the Mueller report is released, a report that has been two years in the making, millions and millions of dollars have been spent in an open budget investigation, meaning there is no cap on the budget. Mueller could spend as much as he wanted, taking as much time as he wanted, just get us our doggone results. Get us evidence to get Trump. That's all this was. And once this report is released, and it is found that despite all of those efforts, they can't get him, there is no evidence of collusion, Nancy Pelosi cannot possibly be working toward impeachment. It will only harm her party furthermore. If the Mueller investigation is indeed going to exonerate Donald Trump, and they, of course, won't make it a clear exoneration. They'll say this is bad and that is bad and Paul Manafort this and Michael Cohen that and Roger Stone this. and They'll try to make it as bad as possible for the president. But at the end of the day, they will not implicate him in anything or his campaign in anything having to do with Russian collusion. And when that big nothing burger is released, after the millions of dollars and the countless number of man hours trying to get the president, there could very well be a reckoning. Middle America, centrist America, undecided moderate America may just turn and hold the Democrats accountable. There may be a reckoning for the Democrats at the ballot box. Matter of fact, Quite frankly, Democrats probably are more nervous about the release of the Mueller report than Donald Trump is. Trump's presidency is on the line. But I think he sits there secure in the knowledge that he did nothing wrong. And it's the Democrats who are sitting there insecure going, oh my God, what if he did nothing wrong? This is all going to be on us. I want you to think about that for a minute. ABC's uh, This Week host uh, Martha Raddatz asked ABC's Terry Moran about this in a panel discussion on their Sunday program on This Week. Will there be a reckoning 
for Democrats. If all of this time and money has been wasted and they could not get their target, Donald Trump. And, and the big topic, of course, Terry, collusion. The president said there was no collusion. There was no collusion. There are hints that that's certainly what Mueller may have been looking at. How big a deal is it if they don't find collusion for the president? Huge. He's cleared if Robert Mueller comes back. Mueller became a folk hero in the United States. Robert Even if he finds all sorts of things. Sure. No, but the central and most serious question uh, in this investigation, the reason Robert Mueller started it, is did the current president of the United States assist the Kremlin in an attack on our democracy? And if Mueller, after two years, comes back and says, I don't have the evidence to support that charge, that's a reckoning. That's a reckoning for progressives and Democrats who hoped that Mueller would essentially erase the 2016 election. It's a reckoning for the media. It's a reckoning uh, around the country if, in fact, after all this time, there was no collusion. That is an enormous statement from ABC, part of the mainstream media, as we know. Uh, that is an enormous statement by Terry Moran. And I agree. How can there not be? How can there not be a reckoning for the Democrat Party when this is what they threw their uh, all of their eggs into this basket, into the collusion basket? And the man who was going to prove it, Bob Mueller. Patriot, reputation that is above reproach, Bob Mueller. He'll get to the bottom of this for us, and when he does, ho, 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 we'll invalidate the 2016 election completely, we'll impeach Donald Trump, throw him out of office, and have control of the White House, even though Mike Pence would, of course, take over. Uh, he'll be done in two years, obviously, because the American people will be so disgusted, so outraged so triggered by the notion that the Republican Party and their candidate colluded with a foreign government, our worst enemy, geopolitically, which is what Mitt Mitt Romney told us in 2012, and Barack Obama laughed at, by the way, but colluded with a Russian government to attack our democracy, will own the White House for the next two or three or four terms. But if they come back, and Bob Mueller serves them up a great big nothing burger. Paul Manafort lied about taxes. Roger's own uh, process crimes. And if that's all we get, if that's all there is, and there is no collusion, I mean, that's like being fed, you know, the appetizer, your pre-dinner salad, and here comes the big stay. Why is the platter empty? Why is there no meat on this plate? What are you giving me all of that advanced stuff for when there's no main course? You can choose your metaphor. I choose a, chose a food metaphor. I don't know why. But find your way. There is nothing there. You lift the little lid on the, uh, on the platter, and there's a great big nothing burger, a nothing steak. That's what the Democrats are going to have to answer for. Then why did you waste two years of our time? And moreover, there's another breaking story to follow up on this. The Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi, suggesting we should absolutely not impeach because she knows there's going to be nothing impeachable. She knows the Mueller report is going to be a big nothing burger and they're going to have to find another way to beat the president in 2020. We have this breaking news story. The story dates back to last summer. Why is it breaking? Because just recently we got the newly unearthed transcript of the testimony that was given by former FBI lawyer Lisa Page to a congressional committee 
about the Trump dossier, about the FBI's targeting of Donald Trump, spying on the Trump campaign, and the FBI's decision, most importantly, to not consider charges against Hillary Clinton for gross negligence in the handling of, handling of classified information vis-a-vis her email scandal. This is enormous. This was a part of a massive document dump. It literally just came to light yesterday, and it's something that ought to be uh, a lead story in every news uh, uh, agency or outlet uh, that's working today. And it's not. This is what we mean when we talk about fake news. It's not just faking news stories. It's about not presenting news stories that are massive. And this is the story. Former FBI lawyer Lisa Page admitted under questioning last summer from Texas Republican Representative John Ratcliffe that the FBI was ordered by the Obama administration Department of Justice, headed up by Loretta Lynch at the time, to not consider charging Hillary Clinton for gross negligence in the handling of classified information. This is what the congressman dropped in his social media post late yesterday, citing the newly unearthed transcript of Page's closed-door testimony. Page and the since-fired FBI agent Peter Strzok exchanged numerous anti-Trump text messages, which have been very openly um, uh, proven in the lead-up to the 2016 presidential election. And Republicans have long accused the Bureau, then run by Jim Comey, of political bias. But Page's testimony was perhaps the most salient evidence yet that the Justice Department improperly interfered with the FBI's supposedly independent conclusions, as offered up by James Comey, on Clinton's criminal culpability. The transcript expert he uh, excerpt, rather, he posted on Twitter says, and I quote, this is a question from Ratcliffe to, uh, to uh, Lisa Page. Quote, so let me, if I can, I know I'm testing your memory here, but when you say advice you got from the department, you're making it sound like it was the department that told you you're not going to charge gross negligence because we're the prosecutors and we're telling you we're not going to. And then Lisa Page interrupted. That is correct. As Ratcliffe finished his sentence. Bring a case based on that. End quote. The document dump was a major release, part of a major release by the House Judiciary Committee Republicans, who yesterday released hundreds of pages of transcripts from last year last year's closed door interview with Page. And there it is, in black and white, transcript provided by the Judiciary Committee. Lisa Page admitting that yes, we were ordered at the FBI by the Department of Justice, run by President Obama, to not charge Hillary Clinton with anything. Obama knew. Obama knew that if Hillary Clinton was criminally charged for her gross negligence in the handling of that classified information with her private email server in the broom closet of her Chappaqua, uh, New York home, knew that his entire presidency would be undone by Donald Trump. 
He had to make sure that Hillary Clinton was cleared so that she could go forward with the election and win the presidency, thereby essentially providing the third term of Barack Obama. He and they ordered the FBI to stand down, essentially, from criminally prosecuting Hillary Clinton. This is a bombshell that should be exploding on every news desk right now this morning. And it's not. Why? Because of what President Trump has said on many occasions. Because today's mainstream media is an enemy of the people. Had to get that out there before our break. It's 924. Let's catch up now on AM 1420. The Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority. On AM 1420, The Answer. And if Mueller, after two years, comes back and says, I don't have the evidence to support that charge, that's a reckoning. That's a reckoning for progressives and Democrats who hoped that Mueller would essentially erase the 2016 election. It's a reckoning for the media. It's a reckoning uh, around the country if, in fact, after all this time, there was no collusion. ABC News, Terry Moran on ABC's This Week with a very strong statement, and I believe an absolutely accurate statement. There will be a reckoning for Democrats. That's why Hillary Hillary Clinton, that's why Nancy Pelosi cannot recommend that they uh, pursue impeachment charges. How can they justify that? How can they, excuse me, how can they possibly justify impeachment if the Mueller report comes back and says, yeah, um, we wasted two years of our time, two years of the president's time, countless millions of dollars, countless man hours as well of resources, all to presidentially or to harass a president, let's put it that way, to harass a president who it turns out did nothing wrong, at least as it pertains to the accusation of collusion. Pelosi can't then say, too bad, we're going forward with impeachment anyway. She knows the report will be empty, and she is planning for that eventuality. Much more on that coming up. And Mark Krikorian, the uh, executive director of the Center uh, for Immigration uh, Reform, is going to be joining us coming up next right here on AM1420.org. Nine thirty-five. Now the Bob France Authority continuing on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I want to pivot now and get back to immigration. I mentioned to you in the open that uh, the president has an ice problem on his hands. Ice union leaders sent a blistering letter to the president criticizing him and the administration, and of course, I guess everybody involved in the expansion of the catch and release program to back in Obama era levels, maybe even worse. Um, we've got that to deal with. We also have to deal with problems at not our southern but our northern border as well. And joining us to analyze and break some of this down is Mark Krikorian. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Mark, good to have you back on our program here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. All I right, started lot- school and I started used to live in Cleveland, Lakewood, actually. Is that right? Yeah, fantastic. That's fantastic. Great town, great city. So, um, okay, Mark, I, I, I want to dive in. There's actually three stories I want to discuss with you this morning. The first one you and I talked about briefly earlier this morning already. Uh, those listeners here don't know that, so we'll kind of repeat some of this. But there's a, there's a huge increase, about a 91% increase in people crossing the northern border, not something we talk about very often. However, the total, even though it's a massive increase, is still a tiny fraction compared to what's going on uh, at our southern border. How concerned should we be about border crossings uh, to our north? 
Well, and like you suggest, the numbers are really small at the north, but they're being driven by the same phenomenon, which is that loopholes in our asylum law and our detention rules have basically incentivized people to come and turn themselves in. They're not trying to avoid the Border Patrol. They're literally flagging down the Border Patrol. And we're seeing that, obviously, on a massive scale uh, on the southern border, but it was inevitable that it was going to happen on the northern border. The numbers are smaller, obviously, because you can't walk to Canada to get to the northern border. And if you're in Canada, you have no interest uh, you know, in sneaking in. But you can get, people from Europe in particular, but not just Europe, can get visas to go to Canada. And then when they, um, then they just walk across the border. I mean, there are parts of the uh, border uh, with Canada that just have like a guardrail and a do not enter sign. And I, I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. It actually is a do not enter sign. And what we're seeing, I actually have seen this myself at a detention center, we're seeing significant numbers of people, including a lot of gypsies from Romania, who come and bring a kid with them, because if you have a kid, basically they just let you go, or they hold you for a few days and then let you go, mm-hmm. and then saying they suffer persecution, whatever it is, they get a court date years from now, and uh, they're gone. They're in the wind. And the result of this, or among other results of this, uh, Mark Krikorian of the Center for Immigration Studies, is uh, the, 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 the uh, problem that ICE has, uh, has tried to make the president aware of. They sent a letter which was very critical of the catch-and-release policies right now, saying you are forcing us into doing these mundane, useless tasks, uh, and it's stopping us from going, to, going and catching dangerous criminal illegal aliens. Quote, we regretly, regretfully write to inform you that in the middle of an immigration crisis on our southern border, your administration is squandering scarce ICE resources and playing political games with our officers. To be direct, Mr. President, the rhetoric doesn't match the reality. And we hope this letter shows you the complete and total nonsense that's really taking place under the Trump administration on the southern border. If the president loses, first of all, there's two points here. One is the actual enforcement of the law. The second is the impact on the president. ICE and the ICE union endorsed President Trump in 2016, and it sounds like they are ready to uh, go another direction if things don't change. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly, they're, they're right to be upset. Um, not to, you know, defend the Trump administration, though, this really is something that's mainly Congress's problem. In other words, the loopholes here in the law, in the asylum law and in the detention rules, mm-hmm. are things that only Congress can change. There are things that the administration should have done better, probably over the past two years in dealing with Congress. They've, they've made some mistakes, there's no question about it. And there probably are some additional things they can do now, but to a significant degree, the administration's hands are tied by the Democrats in Congress and by the judiciary. And that's, I think, where the president is really falling down, is he's trying to make it seem like he's, you know, succeeding in controlling immigration, you know, against really tough odds. The fact is, What we're seeing on our southern border, and, you know, less so, obviously, on the northern border, but it's the same phenomenon, is essentially equivalent to what we saw in Germany several years ago when their prime minister said, yeah, anybody who wants to say they're an asylum seeker can just come on in. They got a million people pouring into that country in one year who pretended to be Syrians, a lot of them. And they're all still there. And this is what we're seeing here. The thing is, it's... 
Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's fault. The administration and Republicans in Congress actually tried to plug these loopholes over the past two years. They didn't do a good job of it. They made mistakes, but they attempted to get it done. It was stopped because the Democrats said no. Even when Republicans had both houses, the Democrats still could veto things in the Senate because of the filibuster rule, and that's still the case today. So, you know, the ICE agents are right to be upset, but the, you know, the letter they need to write needs to be to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer as well as to the president. Yeah, but they're not negotiators. They're ICE agents. Uh, and that's the thing here. You know, uh, those of us who support the president and voted for the president, and will do so again to stop any of those Democrats from, from taking office and essentially opening up our borders fully, um, the president was supposed to be our deal maker. That was what he ran on. I will get this done. I will get the wall built. I will get catch and release ended. I will get the rest of it too. Chain migration, visa diversity lottery, et cetera, et cetera. I'll get all of that stuff changed here because that's what I do. And so, you know, yeah, it's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, but you know, who advocates for us? It's supposed to be the president. And if it isn't getting done, this is one of those buck stop here, stops here issues. So Mark, let me ask you this. What good will the border wall do if it is simply being usurped where we do have one by border agents? And I want to read something to you before you answer that. I normally don't read to my guests, but this is important. This is uh, uh, um, from uh, Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review. In recent days, the border of migration in the El Paso sector has shifted somewhat from New Mexico to the city of El Paso itself. Almost 1,000 people, mainly from Guatemala, came in just on Wednesday last week. In El Paso, there is the much-vaunted 18-foot fence that is the paradigm for what the president would like to build elsewhere. Question is, how are these illegal aliens getting into the country if they were behind that 18-foot fence? They did not climb over, as has been done at the Yuma fence in recent months, um, and, uh, and were not at an opening or port of entry. It appears they just stood at the fence and waited with confidence that border agents would come and pick them up. And sure enough, Reuters reports that those who came in last week we're not deterred by the fence because that's what happened. Border Patrol herded them to the gates and brought them in under the claims of asylum. Reuters snapped photographs showing the migrants waiting at the south side of the border wall to be picked up. And the El Paso not, Times uh, confirmed and reported they were picked up by Border Patrol, taken to entry points, and allowed into the country. So if we have a wall, Mr. Krikorian... Uh, what what's the purpose of it if our, our policy is going to be go to the south side of it and bring them in? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, and that highlights, that highlights the problem, which is the loopholes in the law. Now, let me explain why that happened. The, fence, the fence in Arizona and California is almost right on the border. It's a foot or two in because you have to have you have to get on the other side, you know, to dig it up in the because you sure. can't go into Mexico. But it's basically right at the border. On the Rio Grande, you can't build a fence in the middle of the river, mm-hmm. and you can't always build it right on the river, so that the fence is actually back a little bit in the United States. So what these people are doing is they are entering the United States. They're well and fully indisputably in our territory. They're just on the other side of the fence. And they're sitting there and saying, and they're, you know, ACLU and other advocates and the judges that basically are the ACLU as well, are saying, well, they're in the United States, so it doesn't matter that they're on the other side of the fence. They, you have to go bring them into the country uh, beyond the fence because they're now claiming asylum. I mean, it is, 
you know, it's Alice in Wonderland crazy. But what it points to is that the fence, although it's helpful and useful in a lot of areas, cannot address the issue we're facing now, which is driven by asylum rules and detention rules that must be changed and can only be changed by Congress, and we could have fencing that's 100 miles high and electrified, and it wouldn't make any difference to that issue. That's a great point, and I'm glad you pointed out about the point about, you know, a few feet uh, of, of soil that would be considered, or dirt that would be considered to be American because of where the actual border is and where the fence can be. Is there any way, and I'm, and I'm, I'm you know, this is, this might be a goofy question, but is there any way that we can cede those few feet of dirt to Mexico and say that's yours? Just so that, and our property begins where our fence is, so that we don't have such a tiny little, as you say, Alice in Wonderland crazy loophole that uh, could be exploited. Yeah, I'm not sure they'd want it, and the answer is no. I mean, it's a whole, you know, the there's a whole body of treaty law and the rest of it setting where the border is. You know, it's mm. in the middle of the Rio Grande or the deepest point of the river, right. or some places there's no river at all, actually. In other words, there are some times of the year where they draw off all the water for irrigation. I have stood in the middle of the Rio Grande without getting my feet wet in some places. So, but the point is, there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole bureaucracy built up around it. No, we're not going to be giving them the land south of so- the... Uh, south of the fence. So they're coming more and more from the northern border now, uh, and they're getting smuggled up there and then uh, walking across the border in the guardrail and the do not enter sign that you talked about, which I find hilarious. Uh, they're, so they're, they're, co- they're coming in and continuing to swarm wherever they can over the southern border. They're waiting outside walls and being brought in by the Border Patrol, all because of our policies, which, um, which essentially allow catch and release to continue, which it did under the Obama administration. My question to you is, where do we look for hope? Donald Trump was our hope. Donald Trump ran on this. Donald Trump said, I'm going to end that catch and release, and I'm going to build this wall, et cetera, et cetera. If we don't have hope in him, and I'm not saying we should abandon hope in him, but um, it is where it is. You said it yourself. Congress has to do something here. The president isn't able to persuade them to do anything. What's our next step? What's what, what's the Center uh, for, for Immigration Studies recommend here, Mark? Well, you know, I mean, the first thing is, a lot. The reason the question that you're raising, the frustration of the ICE agents, all of that stuff, that, all of that comes from, and this is the president thought this too, mm-hmm. that this would be like shock and awe, you know, in the first Iraq war. We would just roll over the other side, and they would all remember, for those of you who are old enough, remember the Iraqi army was surrendering to passing cameramen. Anybody they could find, they were surrendering to, because we just rolled over them. That's not what this was ever going to be like. This is trench warfare. The other side is determined to prevent America from being able to enforce its borders and allow anybody who wants to come here uh, to, let, to be able to get in. It is not going to be easy to overcome those folks. Now, we did win in the trench warfare 100 years ago. We broke the German lines, but it was ugly, difficult, costly and it took a long time and that basically is what we're facing now so my point is you know again i'm not carrying water for the trump administration or saying that he's god's gift to humanity but um he's all there is and the administration has people in it who really are trying to do the right thing the focus has got to be overcoming democratic opposition they now are the problem and it has to be hung around their neck because until next November, 
this is going to continue, and there's nothing, really not that much the administration can do about it. Yeah, well, I think it was fated to be. Uh, you know, I mean, just given the historical aspect of elections, which we all talked about going into this past November, uh, you know, the the uh, minority party or the party that's not in the in the White House in the first uh, midterm election, uh, they lose a bunch of seats. Uh, you know, the the White House, I should say, the party in the White House loses a bunch of seats to the minority party, and he did. And now the Democrats control it, and we're going to be sitting here for two years with this type, or the better part of two years, um, you know, with this type of problem, and it cannot be solved until twenty. I will, by the way, carry the water for the president to the extent that I can, because you're right. As flawed as he is and as flawed as some of the administration's decisions and policies have been and as uh, you know, as little as they've been able to negotiate and work with Democrats to get some of this done, he is all we've got at this point in time. And uh, it's, it's a shame to have to phrase it that way, but, uh, but that's where we are. Uh, Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies. It's a great organization. They're doing their part. They're sounding the alarm on all of this. And, Mark, we really appreciate all the information this morning. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Mark Krikorian of uh, Center for Immigration Studies. It's 950. We'll get a timeout. We'll take a couple of phone calls on the flip side. 216-901-0945, 888 the Bob France Authority. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. All right, 955. Thanks again to Mark Krikorian. Really, really inf- important information. I don't know about you, but I feel a little defeated, you know? I uh, I feel a little um, helpless, maybe, because Mark's right. The only thing that's going to change the immigration policies, or let me rephrase, the only thing that's going to change the immigration and the illegal immigration problems that we have will be new policies, policies they would have to be enacted and uh, and passed and signed into law by the Congress and the President. It's not just that suddenly people realized, hey, coming across the Canadian border is an easy way to do this. It's we'll find any way we can because look at what they're doing. They are their policies are going to let us stay as soon as we get caught. All we have to do is get across, one way or the other, by hook or by crook. They're going to catch us, but then they're going to release us. Because they have a limit on the number of beds they can uh, they can provide, thus a limit on the number of detentions that they can um, enforce. And, oh, by the way, their laws say, and I'm speaking as a foreigner now looking at the United States, their laws say that if I've got my kid with me, we can only be held for 20 days. Then they got to let us go, not to be deported, because they, they have to hear our case. And their caseload is so backlogged, We can stay in the United States for years. If they ever find us again at all, we can stay here forever. It's a helpless feeling to know that the wall won't change that. It's a helpless feeling to know that the president, despite his best efforts, can't change that, unless he is the great dealmaker negotiator that he said he was and can flip a whole bunch of members of Congress around. I don't know if anybody's that good. I think it's a very, very serious problem. So thanks to Mark Kukorin for shining a light on that. I'll take your calls at uh, 216-901-0945 Dial now if you would like to get in. Jim has been waiting in West Park to say something. You're on the air. Jim, go right ahead. Yeah, that was a bombshell you were laid on us this morning. <clears throat> but I picked up Silent No More yesterday. It just came out on the uh, 
on the bookshelf uh, by Jerome Corsi. Is that Corsi's book? Yeah, yeah, yeah Corsi's book, and yeah. boy, it is juicy. goes into Seth Rich and the gag order he was under. Uh, and and, and uh, I think that they're going to impeach him after September because the UAW is going to show, shut down all their plants because they're going on strike. Okay? Hmm. And they want $275 a day, the workers. And I don't think they're going to get it. But then they have all that nonsense going on. you got the Logan Act. They, these uh, this carry this not-so-honorably discharged John Kerry, who served in Vietnam, uh, and all his ghouls went around the world and tried to uh, undermine our president. And, of course, he wrote a lot of journalistic books about Bush, family, the Clintons. Did you know, did you know Danny Williams? I know the name. Okay, it's Bill, Bill Clinton's illegitimate black son. I that's not the that. damn no. Then that's not the name that I knew. I knew. I, I thought you were talking about somebody else. Um, J- Jerome Corsi is a very interesting guy, and I've had him on before. And I'm glad you brought this up, Jim, because uh, it's been a while, and I need to have him back on again. <clears throat> I'm going to try to reach out and talk a little bit about his book and some of the allegations. I don't want to get into the you know the Bill Clinton story and what you just referenced there, but the rest of it is, of course, very important. And uh, Jerome Corsi has been, as he alleges, in my view, as he alleges in his book, uh, he has become a political prisoner. He has become a victim of the Mueller witch hunt, which is what his book is all about. I have not gotten him on in uh, probably a few months. I want to say it was toward the end of 2018, maybe even the summer of last year, that I last talked to Jerome Corsi. I'll have to get him back on to talk more about that. But um, uh, we have a lot more to do in the second hour of the program, which is coming up next. We're going to talk to Sergeant Andy Ezzo of the Cleveland Police Department about a local matter, which is important. That'll be uh, uh, coming up at about 1035. But on the flip side, yeah, uh, Jim was right when he said it was a bombshell. It was a bombshell that was revealed yesterday that the Obama Department of Justice directly ordered James Comey and the FBI to leave Hillary Clinton alone, to not charge her, because the president, Barack Obama, very clearly needed her to win as his successor so that all of the things that he implemented during his time would not be undone by the Republican candidate, which, of course, was President Donald Trump. That was a massive bombshell from Lisa Page the former FBI lawyer who knew all about it. So I'll tell you more about that, and we'll react to that as well as we continue in hour number two after this on AM 1420. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.